Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, Old Time Music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Matt Brown. We recorded this last week over Skype, and I recorded my musical parts afterwards. Thanks to everyone who came out to my quarantine happy hour concert, and if you missed it, it's still up there. Go watch and leave a tip if you can. I left a link in the show notes for this episode. Special thanks to Get Up in the Cool's newest Patreon supporter, Matt Brown. I'm always so humbled when the show's guests turn around and give me money for the show that they helped make. Thank you so much, Matt. Stick around afterwards and I'll tell you how to keep up with Matt Brown. But first, here's our interview and asynchronous jam. Enjoy. Brown, welcome back to Get Up in the Cool. Thanks for having me again. That sounded like a June apple to me. Was that a that, June apple? That was indeed a June apple. That was from a uh, North Carolina musician, Surrey County, North Carolina musician, Benton Flippin, who was first and foremost, chronologically, a banjo picker, two-finger banjo player before he became the fiddle player that we all know and love. Oh, that's great. I I don't know if I knew that. Yeah, what I remember, and I don't I don't know if I learned this directly from from Paul Brown who played with Benton as Benton's banjo player in the Smoky Valley Boys for years, or if it's just in the liner notes that Paul made for the Old Time, New Times album on Rounder Records. But mm. somewhere I learned that Benton tried Clawhammer in his teens and didn't really take to it. It like didn't make a lot of sense to his, his body. Huh. And so he played two finger instead. And he spent some time playing banjo, two finger banjo with a fiddler named Esker Hutchins. Oh yeah before he ever like really took off like well, I guess while he was still learning fiddle himself mm. so I think I think all of the earliest recordings of Benton are his banjo playing playing with Esker um, and a couple of those are on that old time new times CD that rounder put out of Benton's that Paul produced okay so what you just played was a version like Benton Flippin's version of June Apple as he plays it with Esker Hutchins no. The Esker Hutchins tangent is just his origin story as a banjo picker. Yeah, um, was that a was that a solo recording or something? The the recording of Benton playing June Apple on the banjo is him on banjo, and he's accompanied by a guitarist. I think that track is Molly Mason of Jay Unger and Molly Mason fame um, accompanying him. 
his son Larry also accompanies him sometimes on that record uh, when Benton's playing banjo. And the funny thing I think about as a banjo player and mostly a fiddle player is that Benton played June Apple quite differently on the fiddle than he did on the banjo. Like his banjo part and his fiddle part, I don't think would overlay very well, which is fine because it wasn't possible for him to do both at once. Sure. (laughs) So (laughs) I like that he had kind of a, a, a distinct version on each instrument of the same melody. Yeah, I don't know if I've specifically heard his June Apple, but like that banjo version that you just played of June Apple is I I I could I could tell that it was June Apple, but the harmony was a lot different. Uh it it didn't have that um I don't know what key you're playing it in. Are you in air quotes A right now? I'm- I'm in G, but tuned to A equals 432. So, right. Sort of G. Sort of G. Uh, it didn't have that flat seven. Um, right. Yeah. And, and and that's a fairly common move. I This is actually a, a topic of conversation near and dear to my heart harmonically with old time music. Yes. In a lot of places and a lot of musicians play the second phrase of the high part of June Apple with a flat seven in the melody and the flat seven major chord. So like if you're an A, you'd play a G chord over the second phrase. But there are also amongst round peak musicians in particular, there's a habit to instead have the melody maybe play the flat seven melody note or some note near that while the band plays the five major chords. So that you get, if you were an A, you'd get the fiddle maybe playing G or G neutral uh, yeah. but the band is playing E major chords with like a G sharp very prominently placed. Um, the thing I love about it is that not only is there the very big five chord sound, like this is just out of a, or, or like a D shape on the banjo. Mm-hmm. But then yes. Benton did that. I don't even know <laughs> why you do that, except it sounds awesome. Um, it does. So yeah. it's like, uh, it's, it's very tense. Like, I mean, I think I've heard... Yeah. That that voicing, I think maybe Fred Fred Cochran plays it in his in his roustabout. Exactly, it's the roustabout yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool. I love yeah, that. roustabout has like the whole like that kind of sound, and this is roust that that interval, but um, with the first string fourth fret rather than fifth fret for oh, banjo nerds. Yeah. Oh, but, but you have open fifth string, so it's it's the, the roustabout high note is still in there because you're also plucking the equivalent of of first string fifth fret. Yeah, so that's 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 for all the banjo geeks out there. So this this might be um, treading retreading some ground that we in our first episode because I know that we talked about banjo playing a little bit in the first episode. I seem to remember, uh, and that was years ago, so I don't know for sure, um, but. When did you start playing two-finger banjo? I don't really remember what year it was. I I know I started playing fiddle in 1988. Um, banjo was probably 15 or 16 years into my life. So that would be 1984 plus 15 or 16. Um, and I grew up with a banjo playing father who... Never has been a professional musician, but like he took us to American banjo fraternity events and like the geekiest of banjo geek done. Uh-huh. Like, you know, things that Bela Fleck and Tony Trishka and Mike Seeger and Odell Thompson and just like banjo royalty 
across bluegrass and old time spectrums spectra uh, were all there as well as going to actual old time music events. But he was, I would say, even more a banjo player than an old time musician. Mm. And so there were always banjos hanging on the walls of our house and on instrument stands and in the hands of him and other people. But I don't think I ever tried to play until I guess it was my rebellious teenage phase when I decided to play the instrument that my dad was associated with. And I tried claw hammer first because I remember I played, I learned, I taught myself Fred Cockrum's fortune off of the John Cohen uh, compilation High Atmosphere. And then I learned Sidna Meyer's Fork a Deer off of the same. And then I started, I met Paul Brown for the first time at the Swannanoa Gathering, maybe 1999 or 2000 or something. And then Paul and I, Paul played banjo on my first album, Lone Prairie with Beverly Smith on guitar. And I, Mm. the more I played with Paul, the more I noticed that he was so fluent going back from like claw hammer to up picking to two finger to three finger. And sometimes in the same song, including on, (laughs) on our album that he, that he played banjo on. And I was also just hanging out with Paul. He was working at NPR in Washington and I would go down to DC and hang out with him when he wasn't on the air. And I would play guitar and he'd play banjo or I'd play fiddle and he'd play banjo maybe or guitar. And I noticed that he often warmed up in our little duet jam sessions with a two finger version of down the road, which I can play you later. Um, And it kind of got stuck in my head. And so at one point when I was 15 or 16 or 17, I remember I went home and just started trying to figure out how to play it in double C tuning. And I spent six months where the only two finger thing I tried was down the road. I don't know that I ever asked Paul to show it to me. I just had, Hmm. I remembered it, him playing it. And I remembered the basic shape of the melody. And for six months, I just played down the road. I mean, I also like ate and slept and went to school, but (laughs) when it came to two finger banjo um, and then when I felt like I could do it and it sounded okay, I started then trying other tunes, but it didn't seem useful to me to try like a bunch of tunes when I was still figuring out the technique and teenage me was willing to just put up with the same very catchy very simple melody Mm. of this basically one part tune Um, so that kind of taught me everything I used for years to come just trying to mimic Paul playing down the road I then was able to apply to a bunch of other tunes and tunings Mm. well um I would love to hear another banjo tune. And then I want to ask you about the mechanics of two finger playing. And I guess maybe about the history of it. Cause I'm just so ignorant about like this corner of banjo playing. And I've only recently started flirting with it. Um, and I'd like, I'd like more of an explanation. <laughs> okay. Well, I will be happy to be the Tinder to your, uh, old time two finger banjo exploration as best I can. Um, But first, here, one of my favorite things that I'd never expected would work very well in this style is to play um, Wildwood Flower. And I'm basically in G tuning. Um, So I'll try that a couple times. Thank you. 
Beautiful. Thanks. I think I noticed, I think I've been noticing when I'm looking at your left hand uh, over the Skype call, it seems like you're, it seems like you're playing that, the major six note, a lot of the time on the second string, as opposed to on the first string. Is, Is that, is that true? Which note? The, um, I guess if you're in G now, it would be the E. Yes. Yes, I am. That's a great observation. And it's, it's because two finger banjo is incredibly limited. It's one of the things I love about this style. It's not like three finger, anything, the old timer bluegrass where you can, you can really get to any note or you're a, you're a great claw hammer player. You, with the claw hammer lick, you can, you can usually get to most notes most of the time within reason. Um, Two finger, I don't think that's true. I'd say like I can probably access sixty-two percent of the notes that you can as uh-huh. a claw hammer player, <laughs> um, and so because of the way I'm playing, which is the thumb lead style for the most part, um, I need to keep the first string open as often as possible mm. as one of my drone strings because in gotcha. this style, both the fifth and the first operate as drone strings, which isn't too different from claw hammer. Like if you play sure. a mel- melody note on open second, and then brush either just open first or first string plus other strings there's still in the second position like the second beat of the measure you might be playing the, the first string as a drone right um, but in order for my melody note to be the equivalent of first string second fret like the note e in g tuning um i sometimes have to go to second string fifth fret to get mm. that note in order to then surround it with the like the the drone notes or the accompanying notes that I'm seeking. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed you were doing that too on, uh, on June Apple, but I, I wondered if that was more just in order to get those, the G and the E going back and forth really quickly. Um, yeah. And June Apple, I was just trying to sound like Benton flipping on this one. I was trying to just, I don't, I wouldn't say I was trying to, play like Maybell Maybell Carter style guitar on the banjo that would be I can't say I've ever thought about that per se but uh-huh. but the idea that like she had this guitar one of her many guitar styles was sufficient that y- you could just have that and no other company instrument and it would be enough yeah um, I feel like Wildwood Flower oddly suits this style of banjo enough that you don't need a whole band playing along. Like mm. the, you can hear what the chord changes are. You can hear the melody as long as I'm not fumbling around too much. Um, so that keeping the melody on the, th- the second, third and fourth strings primarily makes it possible to just always have like a swirl of accompanying notes on the first and the fifth. Gotcha. Interesting. So well, yeah, so what are what are the rules then? Like I find a lot of comfort in claw hammer because you just go down up down up down up and then you only break it if you're, you know, wanting to do like a galax lick or something like that. Um or at least I only do and I that's my perception of most claw hammer players. It's like this constant bang 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 bang. But when I watch your hand when you're playing uh your right hand when you're playing two finger it looks like you're you're switching which finger is leading sometimes and you're switching the little patterns and then when you do the syncopation it feels way different than a syncopated rhythm on claw hammer well the the rule that i teach all my two finger students mm. 
um, then gets broken as soon as we get into the more advanced material. But this, it applies to like what I've divided up into like the beginner and most of the intermediate level arrangements. And it only applies to, to thumb lead because there are a couple versions of two finger. There's thumb lead, there's index lead, and then there are different ways you can make a hybrid. But thumb lead, two finger banjo, the way I teach it until we get to the advanced level mm. is that the thumb plucks strings two through five and the index only plays string one. The thumb goes down toward the ground, the index plucks up toward the sky. And that's mm. the whole story. Mm. Um, Benton Flippin... Well, in order to properly mimic Benton's arrangement to the best of my ability, I have to break that golden rule or suggestion um, a couple times. And some of the arrangements I've come up with either in tribute to what Paul Brown does so well or just of my own volition, I also might break the golden rule. Um, I recently made a version of whiskey before breakfast and there's no satisfying way that i could find to play it thumb lead style without bringing my index finger over to the second strings just for drums not for melodies um but for beginners and most of the intermediate repertoire that i teach thumb on two through five index only on string one and that makes it really easy to glom onto like i used to when i met you and we did the first interview i was teaching at the old town school of folk music in chicago and the class I taught the most was introduction to the banjo. Sometimes I had three sections of it running at once. And in each eight week course, I would show people how to tune the instrument theoretically. Um, and then two weeks of two finger, two weeks of bluegrass and two, two weeks of claw hammer. And sometimes I switched the order, but yeah, Hmm. 80% of the people in those seven and a half years took the two finger immediately compared to the struggles that I saw them go through trying to learn claw hammer and bluegrass, huh. which has inspired me since then um, to pursue teaching it more and more. Cause it, for someone who just likes the banjo as a concept and as a sound, but doesn't know anything about the different repertories uh, or, or what the technique actually involves. I feel like two finger is the least depressing to try first. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I've just seen like from little kids up to retirees who, you know, mm. a 70 year old person who loves the sound of the banjo, never played an instrument for the first 70 years of their life. Trying two finger first has had for me the most success as a banjo teacher. Even if huh. someone goes on to play claw hammer, they already know some of the repertoire. If they go on to play Scrug style or any of the bluegrass, more modern styles, they're already partway there. Um, yeah. So it's a good gateway style, but it's also a great place to stay for a long time. Yeah, because even with the, like I said, the comfort of sort of like the once you get the motion down, the claw hammer stroke is you you know where your hand is and you know what the rules are. Um, But that first like few months or few years for some people uh, with doing the claw hammer stroke is um, really punishing because. Yeah it's so bizarre (laughs) like at least in our paradigms you know of like that motion for Um, me it was very uh, there was a very specific negative sensation for the first (laughs) about six months i don't know that it was actually six months but for the first handful of months that i tried claw hammer which i tried first i found the physical sensation of banging my fingernail against a metal string to be nauseating and the more i thought about what mechanically was going on the more i wanted to puke Interesting, And I got over it and I never have felt that feeling, you know, in the past, in the 20 years since that happened. But 
now that I'm a banjo teacher, as one of the things I do, I try and be aware that some of these some of these mechanics are not pleasant when you first try them. Like I, I've seen huh. fiddle students struggle, but until I tried a banjo, like it didn't occur to me that the claw hammer might have, you know, if you get in your head about it, or if you, if you're really sensitive yeah. fingernails or something, it could be really weird for a while and and unpleasant. Uh, just kind of at a at a lizard level, like like some part of the body is like, why, why am I banging my <laughs> fingernail against this foreign object in this way? But it sounds cool. So was was it the sound or the or the feeling or a combination? It was the feeling. The it feeling. was the feeling. I was used to the sound because I grew up around banjo players. Sure. So like it, it was huh. like the most natural sound in the world. I I heard more banjo music than I heard like any of the popular mm. music of my youth just because mm. of how I grew up. Um, but it was just the feeling when I tried to do it, like I wanted to just jump out of my skin at first. <laughs> Whereas two finger, awful. <laughs> two finger didn't ever do that to me. So maybe that's also why and I do play claw hammer to this day, but I'm not known for my claw hammer playing. Uh, <laughs> and maybe it's cause I, you know, two finger has never made me want to puke. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> there's an, there's the episode title for you right there. <laughs> two finger has never made me want to puke. Great. Uh, I don't have to worry about that part now. <laughs> do you have nails? Uh, I do on each of my fingers. On all all of them, yeah, all I five, mean, j- just including like the, thumb. Just the typical human fingernails, though. Like not nothing. Oh, next. you're being a you're being a smartass. <laughs> yeah, n- n- okay, nothing's great. extra long or extra short. Okay, um, yeah. I, I keep my claw hammer index, you know, right index fingernail, a little longer so I can play and teach claw hammer, but. Um, it's not vi- like nothing's visible over Skype. Yeah, sure. It just probably looks like, you know, a non-banjo player's fingernail or a non-classical guitarist's fingernail. So you use your pads for two finger. Uh, yeah, everything is the is the soft, fleshy, delicate part of the finger. Yeah. yeah. Um, see, that's that's what would hypothetically make me want to puke. <laughs> it's just like all the skin rubbing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, anything could probably make uh, the right person or the wrong person want to puke, honestly. Even like going to the grocery store, or like, you know. Yeah. Or talking flossing. about puking a bunch on a podcast would probably be triggering for somebody. Sorry if you're listening to this. This isn't called Get Up in the Puke, I thought. <laughs> okay. So, um, well, I, I had more questions about the technique maybe maybe i'll think of them if you play another tune and we'll see if if it floats to the top of the mind and if not i'll ask you something else cool um let me uh, go to modal tuning real quick so as as i mentioned earlier my first huge uh imprint on my banjo playing brain is is all from that high atmosphere record that john cohen assembled from his field recordings in southern virginia and parts of North Carolina. And on that record is my favorite dead banjo player, Wade Ward, mm. playing playing the tune High Atmosphere, um, or saying saying the phrase High Atmosphere that I, think, I guess gave the record its sure. title. But he plays Shady Grove. And, and like the third thing I ever learned Clawhammer was his Shady Grove off of that, because I tend to get like obsessed with one thing and then just learn as much as I can. So this record was kind of my, my banjo drug for a while. And after learning to play Wade Ward's Clawhammer Shady Grove, and then tr- figuring out the two finger lick from Paul Brown's Down the Road, I tried to turn Wade Ward's Shady Grove into a two finger tune. Cool. We'll, we'll see if it works. 
The, the that's how he phrases it like that it's yeah. that's so cool <laughs> yeah you should check out you should check out his clawhammer version i've gone back a couple times and like re relearned it because i i don't know if you've had this experience but pretty much anything i've ever transcribed and then gone back and listened to years later i realized i missed like you know a quarter Absolutely. of what happened um and so it's so fun to revisit a tune that you thought you learned really well initially and then realize okay i learned it sort of um, and I've even tabbed it out a couple times and each time I feel like I get a little mm. closer. Um, and I decided to put up a free YouTube claw hammer lesson and I actually, and I went through one last time and just like tried to get as close uh-huh. as I could. So I, I have a, a YouTube lesson on his claw hammer version and I, I don't really want to watch it again. Cause I'll probably go back and watch it and realize I missed like another <laughs> third of what he actually did. Um, but I just love the arrangement so much and there's an interesting fact about Wade Ward. Well, two two rele- relevant things. One is that, from what I know, he played Clawhammer as a solo banjoist, but he played in a band as a three finger banjo player. Wow. Like, and I I love that idea that like the, hmm. the same musician is went on his own. He's you know I think the best source Clawhammer banjo player to have been recorded. Um, purely my opinion, but I love mm. the idea that in a, in a larger context, he was willing and able to, you know, be a, a, a chordal accompanist and, and realize the value of that as well. Like he wasn't, he wasn't too stuck in one mindset to eat, to only do one thing in every context. Um, the other thing that's relevant to the strange layout of that arrangement is that he came down with a, a like a very severe case of the whooping cough when he was a young, like a child, which rendered him like he could speak, but apparently it, it impeded his ability to sing. And so I've always thought since learning that, like that you, you don't need to play Shady Grove in a logical way if you can't sing to it. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, so now, now that approach to Shady Grove makes so much sense because you're not trying to set it up so a singer knows like where their first downbeat is or where there's enough room between verses for everyone to reflect on, you know, yeah. all it the sounds, horrible things or great things that just happened. It sounds like if someone were to sing that version, it would have to be a person who doesn't need to breathe. Well, yeah, circular breathing, I think, would be necessary. <laughs> like a Bobby McFerrin version of Shady Grove. <laughs> totally, totally. But I also, I, it, it it makes me think that we should try some of these, you know, maybe very common melodies and see if we can chop them up in a similar way. Like how how surreal can you get with taking like little fragments of the most identifiable parts of something and have yeah. only those fragments and not equal phrasing not enough room for a singer um and you could you know wade wardify anything yeah you know i've taught a few um uh zoom workshops uh in during the pandemic yeah. and i've often wondered like by the time you know me playing gets to the people like what what <laughs> what they're hearing yeah. and like are they going to have some sort of like chopped and screwed like version oh, of, yeah. <laughs> of whatever and like is that going to folk process into something else for them you right know? <laughs> well it's actually as a as a zoom teacher on on a weekly basis myself i've started making my students use the metronome in the lesson and yeah. they, they think it's just to work on their their timing but it's also a way of me gauging like how the internet connection is because oh. if i notice the metronome speeding up then i know it's not them like it literally happens with zoom that they'll be playing something and like two measures of their b part will be way faster and then slow back down but the metronome will will be making the same adjustments which means it's zoom and not the metronome and that's a the great student. idea you're not All allowed you to use it. You can't. No, you can't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, as long as you have a student that can play to a metronome without pulling their hair out, then uh, that works. <laughs> yeah. it's. I mean, it's so hard for yeah. people who've never done it. Um, it is such a challenge. But I have a handful of students who, who already could do it before they came to me or were willing to try and are having, you know, growing success with it. Yeah. The stu- folks who are new to it or uncomfortable with it, I, I don't do it just for my Zoom sanity. But... Um, yeah. For everyone else, it's it's actually a way of keeping track of how much of it is you know latency and buffering and all the all the those, jargon we shouldn't need to know as old time musicians. Those dang packet packets getting dropped or whatever. Yeah, I Computers. dropped some packets on the on the sidewalk <laughs> yesterday. But uh, okay, I was going to ask you. So I'm thinking about the two finger playing. Yeah, playing with your pads, not with long nails or picks. Yeah. Um, what do you do about uh, volume? Do you play like two finger style? Does one play two finger style in a band context or in an ensemble? Or is it better for a smaller, quieter kind of situation? Like, is there a way to make it project? What do you do about that? Um, well, I don't know if you've heard, but there's this thing called COVID-19, which means I can't leave my house. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't play with anyone right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it's, I think two finger is great for a solo musician. I think that's its best environment. Hmm. And, and I say that, you know, it's horrible that we have this pandemic ravaging the globe. And there are lots of times when a musician doesn't have anyone to play with, um, with a pandemic or without. So two finger is a very satisfying way to sit at home or wherever you're sitting with a banjo and be your own, like the whole orchestra. Um, 
And that's proven by the fact that a lot of a lot of the two finger heroes that we know about that have been recorded were solo, like were captured as solo musicians. Yeah, like Roscoe Holcomb or like Lee Sexton or Morgan Sexton or any number of people. Um, so there's proof that you know more than one person thought it was good to play two finger by themselves and maybe sing, and that was you know voice plus banjo was enough. Um, that being said, I think it sounds glorious in in a small like maybe a trio, fiddle, banjo, guitar. Um, it's a really nice way. There's some tunes that I, I just think don't work very well as a on the claw hammer end of things. And probably a lot of that's just my own limitations as a claw hammer player. Like mm. I don't have the claw hammer imagination that that Adam Hurt or someone, uh, Kathy Fink, or, might have and be able to approach these tunes. Um, imagination is a very, a very a very positive and generous word to apply. To. <laughs> I don't have the skill I, basically uh, to no, do I, that. I, I is, mean, as opposed to insanity. Like, well, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, there've been banjo players for decades who using claw hammer technique have strived, striven. What's the past tense? Um, I don't <laughs> to strove. They strove um, to, to play every note a fiddler would play right. in an arrangement. And that's great. I've never wanted to do it, um, yeah. but it's amazing. And there are people who do it really well and very musically, and that's awesome. I prefer a claw hammer style that's a little more sparse. Mm. And I also think the value of two finger, to get back to your question, is yes. that it can gesture at the melody very easily and then leave everything else to either the imagination and or the fiddle player. So with the right fiddle player, um, I think two finger is sometimes the better approach than claw hammer. Like claw hammer can mm. be very rhythmically insistent and, sure. and can also, it can be hard with claw hammer to emphasize the offbeat, like to, like to, to properly syncopate something the way a fiddle player might very easily, you know, start a phrase on beat four or emphasize beat two um, melodically. Sure. You know, expert claw hammer players can totally do it, but I can very easily just kind of pick and choose what emph emphasize notes I want to join a fiddle player on. And then the rest just kind of have a wash of sound around um, in a way that I think is really lovely, mm. mostly because I can do it and and I've heard it a lot and I think it sounds great. Um, so I think, I do think two finger works well in a band context. Hmm. I don't think it's particularly great playing for a square dance because I think claw hammer is just a better locomotive quality. The um, rhythmic insisting quality yeah, that, of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. And you know, if I were playing for a contra dance and I was a banjo player and a fiddle player had a set of tunes they wanted where the first one's kind of contemplative and the dancers have that kind of like lazy swoopy motion and then we're going to progress into a faster tune and everything is going to get exciting. I might play the first tune two finger and then when we switch to a more up-tempo thing and the room goes wild like switch to claw hammer um, but I feel like you know two finger has its place in a, in a band context the final piece of your question about how to be loud I have the heaviest banjo on earth mm. <laughs> um, and it's a resonator banjo, which a lot of old time banjo players have played historically resonator banjos. And so this thing is, I mean, you can hear it and you're like in a different time zone from me. So yeah. obviously it's plenty loud. <laughs> uh, you heard it here, folks. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, I would imagine that that would help yeah. the, the projecting all I, that metal gear yeah. on there 
it's it's this banjo is mostly metal uh, it's a 1976 stelling bellflower that my dad has it's beautiful um, kindly lent me indefinitely and, and jeff stelling or someone on his team recently re- kind of rebuilt it because the tsa mostly destroyed partially re- destroyed it oh, last God. last uh, last spring this past spring i don't remember what year it is um but it is an important point like i haven't I've been talking to several of my students about what banjos to buy. And if they're sure. a claw hammer player or a two finger player or both, like that changes what banjo I'm going to recommend. Um, and a, a very well set up claw hammer banjo with high action and a scoop. I would never want to play two finger on it. I just, mm. it, it just sounds awful. I've tried it and it's just disgusting uh, from a, like a, just a, a satisfaction standpoint, but getting back to mechanics. So yeah, like what, this, what, this is what about it super, slows you down when you do that? Well, I feel like finger picking just benefits, at least on the banjo, from having the lowest possible action. That's mm. kind of that's that's the most of it, um, and light-ish gauge strings. Um, whereas clawhammer, I know I I don't mind a high action on a clawhammer banjo, and um, in order to play up over over the neck with or without a scoop it's really annoying to do so with the action as low as I have it on this Stelling. Um, so I feel like the banjo has to, has to allow the musician to play the way they want to. And, and of course a great musician can make any instrument work for them, but this banjo is set up to be a finger picking banjo, but in an old time way, not, it doesn't have like a frosted bluegrass head or anything on it. Sure. Yeah. Huh. I, I, I think you touched on this a little bit. Uh, I know we only have a couple more tunes to do, but before you play another tune, um, do you know anything about the, like when people started playing two finger style? Like my very vague understanding of the, of the banjo is that like people were doing down picking first because the people who uh, invented the banjo um, were playing that style uh, on the ancestors ancestors of the instrument in West Africa, and like, when did people start like, you know, doing thumb lead and doing things like that? Um, and do you know who? And I have no idea. Um, I, I can also cut this out. <laughs> you don't have to cut this out at yeah. all because I, I mean, if someone actually knows, I would love to hear it. But it seems preposterous to me that people have been playing a downstroke style on banjos and and banjo antecedent instruments for hundreds of years and that no one thought to pluck the other way right like it's the, like the the human hand hasn't evolved in that time so right the same people who invented all of the antecedent instruments had the exact same hand layout that we do so my, my guess is that as long as we've had banjo predecessors and the banjo people have been some people have been plucking down some people have been plucking up and some people have been doing both um there's just not a ton of documentation that i'm aware of um and let's face it two finger banjo is the least sexy of the three styles (laughs) i used to teach at the old town school like i don't know man you you sound pretty good (laughs) well thank you i'm i'm shivering in this in this cold denver weather uh but i i appreciate you saying that um but you know steve martin hasn't yet started playing two finger and so i don't know that anyone's ever played two finger on letterman or you know jimmy fallon's show or colbert or any of these so until that happens this is like yeah this is 
it's fertile ground for hipsters and other early adopters um, yeah. to, you know, lead the charge into into coolness. Because right now this is so underground. It's like it's like we're in the bunker below the bunker. <laughs> yeah. Well, if that doesn't convince anyone to make their way over to Two Finger, I I mean, yeah, old time music is just full of hipsters, like you said. <laughs> I've noticed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God, God bless them. God bless us. I'm, <laughs> I'm among them. Well, um, what do you want to play for our second to last tune? Um, let me. So I mentioned that the first tune I ever played that I figured out from Paul Brown's beautiful banjo work was down the road. So I might as well play that the way that I've Great. been playing it recently. And this has now probably drifted pretty far from where I heard Paul play it, but in my defense that was like 21 years ago um i'm sure he would be horrified (laughs) (laughs) yes paul i'm sorry just blanket (laughs) apology please hold your applause everyone that yeah i love when you were instead of alternating with your thumb to the fifth string you were alternating to the fourth string yeah and that's kind of like the roustabout thing in the uh yeah that part of roustabout that you mentioned earlier where you yeah you jump down to the low note and get get all grumbly that's really that's really cool how did you do when are you throwing in those strums and how are you doing them are you strumming up down what are you doing I'm strumming, I'm strumming down, strumming down. Um, I'm doing it with, so I'm playing the two finger style with my pinky ring and index planted on the head of the banjo. Okay. And so the strum is just a finger flick down um, of my index, index finger nail. Yeah. Um, So I can, I can literally get the claw hammer, the basic claw hammer rhythm. 
by doing that. I mm. I rarely do because if I actually wanted to play Clawhammer, I would switch and play Clawhammer. Sure, sure. But that's something I, I got off of Paul that he he'll put these little brushes in and it just like it rings the whole instrument. And if you have a nice banjo and you're in tune ish. Um, those notes, will, the open strings that you just banged on will ring for a while while you continue on. Um, yeah. It, and, and that's a fun thing to experiment with, like see how long you can get the, the note you just droned once to ring while you continue on your way. Yeah, it's really neat because uh, with, with Clawhammer, a lot of styles of Clawhammer claw playing, you're, you're constantly ringing out all of the strings. Yeah. And... Uh, it can become monotonous and yeah. I don't know what happens in your brain in, in one's brain and one's ear but like I feel like when when we set up expectations like when we're listening I feel like we say okay like like there's something subconscious that says like I understand what's going on here and I'm going to sort of turn off paying attention to the right. like, constant strumming yeah. um, and when you're throwing in the occasional strum when you're playing yeah. two finger it has the opposite effect and it's yeah. like oh like it just sort of like makes me like snap to attention uh yeah. because it's so sparse um, oh, cool. but then it ring- yeah it's like it's a really powerful effect that's awesome yeah i feel like you know as limited as i think as i know two finger to be having played it and tried to fit a bunch of tunes into this style and they don't all work very well. I think some of those limitations mean that we have to be really creative and uh, about the palette that we have so that, yeah. you know, it would be way too easy to be really monotonous in the style. Um, sure. And so we have to come up with creative ways to break that monotony and things I, I teach people in the beginning part of their two finger existence. Um, are all about monotony so that it, there's like some predictable nature to what's going yes. on. But once we get into more advanced, um, like transcriptions of Roscoe Holcomb or whomever, or if I come up with something that I think works, usually there's some piece of the puzzle that's surprising, or there's something we're doing that breaks, breaks the pattern that the ear has kind of, you know, decided yeah. it's just going to be there forever. And then all of a sudden it's not, that thing isn't there anymore. Like you say, and this new thing is, is a really pleasant shock to the system. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the same thing also goes for when, when you switch to index lead, uh, you know, or when you break the basic pattern, um, when you, when you invert, when the fifth string happens, it's like, yeah, it feels like in your playing, it feels like there's constant like little delights where even, even if there's a lot of syncopation and claw hammer playing, um, maybe it's just my brain because I know how claw hammer works, but I... I know I can tell the difference like on an in- intuitive instant level, you know, like, oh yeah, that's a drop thumb note. That's yep. a down, you know, and like, I can tell that it's the hand still going bang, 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 bang yeah. most of the time. Um, and th- what you're playing sounds like constant decision making. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> I- I'm sure it doesn't feel that way. No, it feels uh, like that. It totally it feels like that. Oh yeah, because I like, I never know what I'm going to do, and I never know if I'm going to succeed. As as yeah. the astute listener can probably tell, it's like there's <laughs> there are moments when I try something and it didn't work, and that's you know that's it makes how it life really is. exciting to listen to. <laughs> oh cool, <laughs> yeah, it's Great. awesome. Yeah, 
Yeah, because then, you know, when it does work, then, you know, we all feel better for a minute. Yeah. So you teach you teach lessons. I do. Uh, on fiddle, two-finger banjo. I'm sh- I'm sure you teach claw hammer as well. And, and you said also three-finger because you, you did that all at the Old Town. Well, I've stopped teaching three-finger banjo because I, I did it at Old Town just because that introductory course necessitated it. It was, it was a course designed so that people could decide if they were going to take the bluegrass banjo class or the claw hammer banjo class or gotcha, two finger. Gotcha. Um, but now that I'm no longer at the old town school and I'm in sunny Colorado, um, I am teaching online lessons to students all around the world. Amazingly. Um, yeah. Old time and bluegrass and honky tonk fiddle claw hammer banjo in the round peak style, mostly um, mm-hmm. this two finger style and then old time guitar and some like intermediate the beginner and intermediate bluegrass style guitar um but i'm also spending as much time as i can afford to building a free instructional site of for yes. two-finger banjo um, yeah. it went live in april of 2020 i think and it's we're recording this in september we've had visitors from 31 countries around the world um thousands of of views and there's lessons at each level uh beginner intermediate and advanced and there are going to be some interviews as well um added and way more lessons but basically it's kind of you can probably relate i know you have patreon supporters because i became one this week um yes thank you you're welcome (laughs) also nice shirt (laughs) (laughs) thank you this is my new get up in the cool shirt um but basically the more the more patreon support i get for this free twofingerbanjo.com site which has no paywall in and of itself the yeah. more time i can afford to like shoot these hd video lessons um yeah. with a videographer and make the tabs and and have interviews like you're doing with your podcast so um it's been great to see you know people discover it from all over the world but mm. until i have more income from it i it, it's like always on the back burner because it right now twofingerbanjo.com does not pay for chipotle yeah or your your child or yeah or or my eight week your eight week old uh, named after benton flippin um he his diapers are not paid for by patreon yet one day yeah come on people feed feed this baby some burritos (laughs) (laughs) but it's been amazing like you know the banjo hangout community kind of single-handedly uh, has populated the site with visitors and like at all hours, hours of the day because mm. I have my little analytics app I can see people from all over the world like yeah. on the advanced page or on the intermediate page and it's so cool and I'm meeting new people through Patreon who have been incredibly supportive and um, it's amazing that in this world where we're many of us stuck at home that we can still support each other and be connected and learn new things um, with all these tools for people who have internet and the time and the luxury of like sitting and learning something. Yeah. Cool. Thanks so much for doing this, Matt. Is, is there anything else that you want to talk about or promote before you do our, our last tune? No, I'd say if you like the banjo, go to twofingerbanjo.com like I do every morning and see uh, see if there's anything interesting. And if there's not, then don't go there again. But Great. if you like it, go back and uh, yeah, tell your tell your tell your uh, dog walker and your um, your doula and all those your midwife and everyone. Yeah, cool. What do you want to play for this last tune? I'm gonna play. Um, you know that fiddle tune, Rachel, sometimes yes. known as Texas Texas Quick Step. 
I, uh, I came up with an arrangement for it, and this is one of these tunes that I think, I used to think was impossible in the two-finger style, um, and then I worked on it for a while, and um, we'll see, we'll see if it works. But basically, you have to put in some extra, extra little hammers on, and then, and then the melody's kind of there. Okay, Rachel. Check out Matt's instructional site, twofingerbanjo.com, to learn how to play old-time two-finger banjo. You can also join the Two Finger Banjo Facebook group linked in the show notes. And if you want to release Matt to put more energy into this awesome series, join his Patreon, also linked in the show notes. You can support Get Up In The Cool at patreon.com slash getupinthecool. Thanks again to Matt for signing up there. Order a t-shirt, bag, sticker, or phone case at Get Up In The Cool's Teespring store. Make sure to like and follow Get Up In The Cool on Facebook so you can see the video I posted from this episode and share it with the world. Visit pitchforkbanjo.com for my instructional banjo series. Check out my other podcast, Think Outside The Box Set. It's available in all the same places as Get Up In The Cool. And everything I just mentioned is linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to get up in the cool.